Amen. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Someone once asked, what's in a name? Isn't it interesting that we carry as our names through our lives names that others give us, usually our parents. One little girl said, I'm sure glad my mom named me Ashley. And when she was asked why, she said, because that's what everyone calls me. Some people change their names, particularly if someone has given their family a bad name. Some change their names just because they find something they like better. 17-year-old Peter Eastman Jr. was tired of his name after only 17 years. So on April the 22nd, 1994, this California teenager officially became Trout Fishing in America. A name of a counterculture book from the 1960s. And his dad, Peter Eastman Sr., if you can still call him Sr., I suppose, said, I'm proud of Trout. I'll address him as Trout because that honors his choice. Some say names are not important. We all know that Juliet told Romeo that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Some people are so universally recognized, they only need one name, like Elvis or Beyonce or Bono or Madonna or Cher. But there is only one name unique in all of history, not because no one else ever carried his name, but because his is the only name with the power to save us from our sins. And that name is Jesus. I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts in the New Testament. And while you're finding that, let me remind you of what happened in the third chapter. Jesus had already arisen and ascended into heaven. And two of the apostles, Peter and James, were on their way, or Peter and John, excuse me, on their way into the temple. And there by the gate they called the beautiful gate was a crippled beggar, a man who had been crippled since birth, more than 40 years, and he asked Peter and John for some money. And Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man walked. He stood to his feet. He began to dance and jump, and everyone saw it. It caused a great scene and attracted a lot of attention and Peter used that opportunity to preach a sermon, which constitutes the rest of chapter 3. And then we get to where we are in chapter 4. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me while I read this portion of the Word of God for us. In Acts 4, verses 1 to 12, the Bible says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. 
They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Thank you. Please take your seats. Now you may already be aware of the importance of names in Hebrew life. Most of those names meant something. They had specific meanings of one sort or another. The name Elijah, for example, the Old Testament prophet means Yahweh is God. Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. Daniel means God is my judge. David means beloved. I had a an Old Testament professor at the seminary who told us in his class one day that he had given his son the first and middle names of David Marshall because in Hebrew, David Marshall means beloved leader and he wanted his son to carry that name. Old Testament prophets sometimes name their children certain names as a prophecy to the people Hosea named one of his children Lo-Ami, which means not my people, as a prophecy of judgment on God's people. Isaiah heard God tell him to name his son Meher Shalal Hashbaz, which means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Meher, Meher, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, six syllables. It's practically a sermon in itself, isn't it? I'm glad I wasn't named Meher Shalal Hashbaz. God's own name, of course, was very significant. Yahweh used to be translated uh, or rendered Jehovah, but that's sort of fallen out of fashion. More often now, it's rendered as Yahweh. And that name, Yahweh, comes or is derived from probably the Hebrew verb, hayah, the verb for being, a verb which means literally he is. No doubt has some connection with God's revelation of himself in Exodus 3 as I am. And the third commandment in Exodus 20 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But technically what that verse says is, You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The very substitution of Lord for Yahweh is a reflection of the respect that the Jewish and Hebrew people had for the name of God, the proper name, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so whenever they would read in the text, they wouldn't speak it. They would substitute Adonai, Lord, wherever they saw the name Yahweh. They had a high regard, a high respect for the name of God. 
Would that we had the same kind of respect for the name of God and Jesus Christ in our world today. Everywhere in our society, the names of God and Jesus are dragged through the gutter with violence and hatred committed in their names, with curses and expletives of the worst sort, calling the name of God, using Jesus Christ in vain. May it never be said of us that we profane the name of God or of His Son, Jesus Christ. If God will not hold him guiltless who defiles his name, then what of the one who profanes or rejects the name of his son? His son Jesus. That name Jesus is especially significant. It derives from the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, as they would say it. It means Yahweh saves. So Jesus means essentially Savior and Christ is equivalent to the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed. So Jesus Christ means anointed Savior. In other words, He is God's chosen one to serve as the Savior of humankind. That's why the name of Jesus is so important. That's why it's a name you need to know, a name you must know, because it points to the only way of salvation that is open to us. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved than Jesus. Now there is a popular view that all religions appeal to the same God. You've heard people say that, no doubt. Someone maybe have said it to you. But if you have any common sense, you recognize that that view is mistaken. It can't be true. Because competing religions claim different fundamental truths that can't be true. They oppose one another. For example, Christianity teaches that God is personal and that after death there will be a resurrection to an eternity with God in heaven or separated from God in what the Bible calls hell. Hinduism, on the other hand, teaches that there is no personal God and that after death the body decays, but the soul is reincarnated into another living being, not necessarily human. For Buddhists, there is no God at all. Death is just an extinction of sorts that they call nirvana. The Mormons believe that we will all one day be gods. And obviously, these can't all be true. Common sense. Logic tells us so. But whatever God you serve, whatever you call Him, whether you're a Mormon or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Jehovah's Witness or a Scientologist or a Muslim or something else, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if we believe the Bible, as we profess to believe the Bible, we have to acknowledge that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Now a lot of people think that the only necessity for salvation is sincerity. You can believe basically whatever you want as long as you're really sincere about it then God will accept that sincerity 
and open the door to you. But trouble is, if the Bible's true, then that thinking is false. And a person can be sincerely wrong. You may believe sincerely that you can fly, but I wouldn't advise you to jump out of the balcony down to the floor below to try to prove it. There are a lot of people who are sincerely mistaken, misguided, wrong. Acts 4.12 is very clear. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Not even the name of Abraham or Moses or David. Do you realize Jesus was speaking to the leaders of Judaism right there in Jerusalem, the high priest and his family. And he didn't mention Moses or David or Elijah or Abraham or any of the prophets or any of the Old Testament personalities. No, Jesus. And Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Now a lot of people seem to choke on that. They don't like to believe that the only way to God is through Jesus. There must be some other avenue, some other way, some other path. Why is it only Jesus? Well, think about it. Jesus is the provision that God Himself has made for our salvation, for our sin. If we want to come to God and have a relationship with God... We have to do it God's way. And that way is total dependence on God's grace in His Son, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, the only one who shed His blood for our sins, Jesus. And in fact, Jesus is God, by the way. So how can you come to God except through God? Now that doesn't mean we have to understand all of the deep theological concepts behind our salvation. All we need really is the confidence in Jesus, the faith in Jesus, the trust in Jesus of a little child. Because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's all we need to call on the name of Jesus and God will take care of the rest. So whose name do you bear? In days past, slave-holding societies would actually brand their slaves the way cattlemen brand cattle to show their ownership, to stamp on them a name that they could never erase. We Americans pride ourselves on being free. We have liberty. No one tells us what to do, and yet... We are among the most branded people on planet Earth. Think about it. I can give you some examples. One of of the most popular sports in the country is NASCAR. Whenever you see a NASCAR driver on his suit, he has emblems, sponsorships, names all over himself. He's branded from head to toe. Their cars are branded from bumper to bumper with all of the different sponsors and names and stores and, and products and all of those sorts of things that that give them the money to do what they do. And whenever a a driver wins a race, he always says something like this. He says, yeah, the Home Depot Nestle Crunch Go Daddy Pennzoil Chevrolet was running real good today. (laughs) Right? That's how branded we are. 
Now look at the, the famous athletes and their endorsements. Watch a, watch a golf tournament on TV. The golfers have something on their hat, something on the shirt, sometimes other places as well. Celebrities adopt these brands, let those brands own them for certain fees in the hopes of persuading us to use those brands and brand ourselves with them also. I read once that Michael Jordan's value as a celebrity spokesperson for consumer products was being diminished by the fact that he endorsed so many products, that he was branded by so many. He was pitching so many things, he was on TV so much that people were starting to forget what it was he was trying to sell. And you think, well, those are celebrities, those are special circumstances, I don't have any sponsors, I'm not branded. Well, take a look in the mirror. What does it say on your tennis shoes? Does it say Nike or New Balance or Skechers? What does it say on your jeans? Levi's, Gap, Wrangler, some other designer brand with holes in the knees? <laughs> well, how about your car? There's some name on your car. It may be Ford, Chevy, Honda, Toyota, BMW, Mercedes. And we don't think twice about wearing these names all over ourselves and all over our things. But how do we feel about wearing the name of Jesus? What does it say about us when we unashamedly cover ourselves with Nike sportswear, or Under Armour, or T-shirts with the names of universities or rock groups or, God forbid, beer slogans, and, and we're embarrassed and ashamed to be labeled as a follower of Jesus? The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile alike. The Bible doesn't say those who call on the name of Nike shall be saved. It says those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We proudly wear everything else, but we're too timid to wear the only name under heaven that can ever do us any eternal good. Do you wear the name of Jesus boldly or are you ashamed of it, embarrassed by it? You know, what most astonished these Jewish leaders who heard Peter's words in Acts 4 was not so much what he said but the courage and boldness with which he said it. In the next verse after what we read in verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were bold about it. Peter boldly wore the name of Jesus without shame, without fear. This one who had denied Jesus three times around the campfire after his arrest, now filled with the Holy Spirit, he boldly declares before the high priest and everybody that salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus. Do we wear it that boldly? Some few years ago, Time magazine on its list of 100 most influential people in the world included the name of Tim Tebow. Now that's not because Tim Tebow is one of the 100 best athletes in the world. In fact, he, he eventually had to stop playing football and baseball because he reached the limits of his abilities. 
Tim Tebow was one of the 100 most influential people in the world because he proudly wore the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has that kind of power. It polarizes people. To some, it's beautiful, it's sweet, it's, it's glorious, it's salvation. To others, they despise it, they hate it, they want to get rid of it. Jesus. How do you wear that name? Do you wear it proudly, boldly, unashamedly? What about the name Christian? That means little Christ. How do you wear that name? Do you dishonor it by the way you wear it? There's an old story of a poorly dressed, slovenly soldier who was called before his commander, who happened to be Alexander the Great. And as the story goes, he was asked his name as he stood there, slovenly disheveled as he was. And the man replied, my name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great reportedly said, well then, change your ways or change your name. Because he didn't want somebody like that, a soldier of all things, carrying his name. What does Jesus think about the way we carry his name? His name has the power not only to heal crippled beggars, but the power to save you from your sins. And it is the only name that can. Elvis can't save you, Beyonce can't save you, Madonna, Cher, Muhammad, Moses, Elijah, Abraham can't save you, only Jesus. There is an old hymn that we're going to sing in a few moments. It says, there is a name I love to hear, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. If the name of Jesus is not the sweetest name on earth to you, then perhaps you haven't fully realized what Jesus has done for you. How desperate a situation and circumstance you are in your sin apart from Jesus. How lost. How sincerely misguided. But if you know what God has done in Jesus Christ, if you know the power of His salvation, the power that reached into the tomb and raised Jesus from the dead, if you know that, then Jesus is the sweetest name on earth to you. If you don't know it, come to Christ today so that His name ringing in your ear, can't help but bring joy into your heart. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, what a joy, a privilege it is for us to come into this place and worship you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, that is a sweet name, a name that reminds us of how much we are loved, how far you were willing to go to wash away our sins and give us life in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that if someone is here today 
for whom the name Jesus is not the sweetest name on earth, I pray you would move in their hearts, that you would lead them to faith, the simple faith of a trusting child, to let you save them through Jesus Christ. God, glorify yourself in Jesus this day, in this moment, in this hour. We ask it all. In the name of the one who died for us, Jesus Christ, amen. We're going to sing that hymn now, and if you have a decision to make,